Welcome to The Future of What. I'm Portia Sabin, the president of the Music Business Association. This is our first new episode since the pandemic shut everything down, and I'm so excited to be back in the studio. So much has happened in the past couple of years, it just goes to show that even worldwide crises can't stop the music business. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the problem of streaming fraud with some people who are on the front lines of combating it. It's all coming up on The Future of What. My guests today are Morgan Hayduke and Andrew Beatty from BeatDap. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So glad to talk to you. So this is so exciting. You have to know this is my first interview back in the studio after the pandemic. So I'm just like so excited. <laughs> you guys are special. <laughs> You'll live in my memory forever. Uh, it's an honor to be first. Yay. <laughs> Welcome back to the studio. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's get to it. The problem of streaming fraud. So obviously this has been with us ever since the internet and streaming. But it's probably evolved a lot over the years. What are you guys seeing most these days in terms of streaming fraud? It's a good question, and it's you can divide it up a lot of different ways. So I'll try to do a quick sort of summary, and then we can dive into the parts. Um, I think there's three big buckets. Uh, we generally think there are three big buckets. There is you know, a financial motivation, which is purely, I'm going to put some songs onto a streaming service via a distributor, and I'm going to target those with a bot for as long as I can not get caught effectively. Um, and then there's trying to generate velocity, you know, trying to get noticed, trying to crack onto an organically distributed playlist where like legitimate streams are uh, generated. And then there's sort of the, the third bucket, which is, you know, sort of peak of the mountain, right? Like how do you be first in a category, in a release, in a week, in a year? Um, and all three of them have, I think, different levels of sophistication, a little bit different motivations, but ultimately leverage similar tools, which are bots or accounts that have been taken over to generate you know, streams and volume. And I think the tactics of how that happens are is constantly changing. So it's sort of like whack-a-mole where um, you think you're fighting them one way and they just adjust and they're constantly just you know pivoting or moving slightly, which makes it hard for your algorithms to catch. And as long as there's like a large enough market, and which in this case, you know, music streaming's a massive market as we all know, and systems that are not sophisticated enough to catch them, they're going to just keep finding new pathways to exploit the same sort of um, opportunity. So this is just really like a, a how to get rich, you know, or how to make some money without doing too much work. But the funny thing is, it sounds like it's a lot of work to me. I, I think Andrew would tell you otherwise. I mean, he's been around, uh, you know, from sort of the earliest days of digital advertising. I think he's been around this space. It, it sounds like a lot of work if you're not super technical. I'm not super technical. It sounds insane to me to spend all this effort to, to you know, build bot armies and control them virtually with you know, physical and digital computers. But the reality is for you know, people with a special skill set, um, it's actually not that much work. And it's you know, pretty accessible. You can go get generative music from an AI you know, online and put that onto a playlist using an independent distributor and target it with a bot army. And that all sounds sci-fi to me, but you know, to a pretty large number of, of folks who are motivated, it's it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, or hijack accounts, right? Right. So you could just uh, go on the, like, I can go on the dark web tomorrow and buy, I bet you could buy a million, two million, maybe it depends on the percentage of, in which service I'm trying to, to target, but I can buy millions of accounts, login permissions, and, and just like build a bot within, 
two hours that logs in and tells that bot to do what I would like as that person. So then all those people, the millions of accounts that you bought, those people then stream music? Yeah, but they don't know. Right. So what's happening is like what I, what I described recently, which is I was thinking about like how would I build this today? And one of the things that I really thought about was it would be so easy actually because there's so many open APIs. What you could do is just um, hijack these accounts connect it to a fake app and you don't need the app doesn't need to be like you and I think of a consumer app like all it really needs to do is uh, connect your account and then ping those open APIs with your login permissions saying please tell me my plays or track your plays or um, you know quietly listen to what's being played as it's live even if you just do a screen scrape or whatever but the point is I could within two weeks I could have a pretty good understanding of how a regular person listens to music uh, probably shorter time period than that and then say, hey, Morgan never actually listens to music between 12 and two. Tell bot to run this count uh, when there's gaps. And so as Morgan's at work or at lunch between 12 and two or whatever, not playing music, I'm playing music and targeting exactly what I want to target. But then in the old days, you used to have to create all this noise because if I was going to you know, push Morgan up, I'd need to hide Morgan in a, you know a series of other events. So if I, if I stream a million songs to Morgan, I actually need to drive like 100 million streams around him so that whoever the streaming service is does not know who I'm actually intending to try and lift. Uh, it's too hard to separate out. In this case, you don't actually have to create any of the noise because the natural user does it for you. So how does a streaming service at that point understand that only these two hours were botted? Um, and because everything else looks so normal that you can hide in plain sight just by hijacking their accounts they don't really know long enough, so you can probably write the same account for eight to 12 weeks before a password reset or before they figure something out, and then you just buy more accounts for, for pennies on the dollar. Okay, this this sounds really exhausting. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm. what is the value proposition for these folks who are willing to put in all this effort to, to do all this stuff? There's a couple sort of value props and goes back to the sort of motivations for this. So um, take the example of the Bulgarian fraud that was you know a few years old now but one of the most publicized events that you know got caught um, and happened on Spotify those two playlists with only 1200 accounts targeting them were generating between 280 and 420 thousand dollars a week I should say that again it was over a month not over a week up until they were caught and so you're paying twelve thousand dollars to set up those accounts uh, and you're generating you know four hundred thousand dollar returns it's it's pretty meaningful so that's the financial motivation but I think the other one that's you know a little bit harder to pin down is if you're trying to sort of either get noticed by a label uh, or generate enough velocity to crack one of those you know human curated or algorithmically curated playlists on a major DSP where if you make it onto those playlists if the velocity of your sort of listening is is enough to trigger the algorithm to say we should include this song by Andrew on this playlist because it's really popping off right now, you're, you're getting organic streams at that point. You can kind of stop using the bots. And I think that's the sort of even the more challenging one to catch. And for the DSPs, it's super important that you have uh, songs that aren't being targeted by bots cracking onto your, either your internal charts or your uh, curated playlists where all of a sudden those songs will get legitimate organic distribution uh, by virtue of creating enough noise that they were able to make it onto one of the playlists. Okay, so this is the problem in a nutshell. And so you guys created BeatDap to solve this problem, correct? We started thinking about it from the this, this sort of the auditing space, which is um, you know, not the most uh, sexy application of technology, but we thought there must be a faster way to conduct a sort of a full audit um, 
of, of streaming use, history and usage on behalf of labels, and then quickly realized as we were thinking through sort of the variables of an audit that one of the things you have to be able to do is back out streaming fraud. And as we started talking more to sort of the industry about the dynamic of streaming fraud, we realized there's an entire software vertical that needs to be created here um, because no one right now is doing it for our industry. And so each DSP is left to create their own internal set of tools um, and have their own team dedicated to this. And I think, you know, at the top of the market, there are large dedicated teams working on this, but from sort of the the mid sort of mid-sized and down, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to invest super heavily in building the same set of tools that you know all your peer DSPs are also building. And so we quickly identified that as like, here's a spot to build something that will be value add to DSPs that over time will be much smarter than any one service can build in aggregate because we're looking across multiple services data for like the little subtleties and nuances and fingerprints that show up only when you have a broad cross section of the industry and user listening patterns. And that there's something we could build here that would save internal teams a lot of headache and hopefully let them deploy those resources towards you know things that are customer facing and obviously more on sort of their mandate than whacking fraud down. Yeah. So I ran an independent record label for 13 years. So how would this help? You know, I, I mean, obviously, at an, in a small independent label, you don't have the person power to to even really engage with this kind of problem because you just you don't have someone who's sitting around looking at your streams in that, you know, grade of detail. So, you know, how how could you guys help in those situations? I think one of the ways that we will help is by making it accessible for you. I think that um, right now it's largely inaccessible because of cost and sort of the technical requirements to do so. Like if you want to go and do an audit, you need to you know hire the right accounting firm to go do it. And they do you know the system and the usage check. And then they have to go and look at fraud, how fraud reports were backed out and most favored nation clauses. And that can take up to two years, you know, depending on the size of the catalog and whatnot. And so I think what we can possibly do is um, create transparency and sort of accessibility for all parties. And that allows these audits to kind of seamlessly take place. Uh, but more importantly, on the fraud detection side, make sure that the correct pro rata shares are being paid to the right people. Um, because it's really unfortunate if, if you're an independent artist and uh, somebody's targeting your account that you didn't do. Like, like if I wanted to prop Morgan up, I might artificially choose one of your artists and they might get their streams removed because it looks like fraudulent behavior that they didn't perpetrate. So there's, there's a lot of value, I think, in the independent side that maybe just feels out of reach so it's not necessarily leveraged. And I think that as our technology goes across the industry, we'll be able to make that accessible and make that... Um, easy to facilitate for these independent labels. The other thing I would just jump in there and add is uh, we think over time we'd like to create you know sort of shared vocabulary, shared definitions of what is and is not streaming fraud. Because I think part of the challenge today, and I mean you opened on exactly the right question, what is this, how is it being done? And our hope is for labels of all shapes and sizes, and especially the independent sector, to know that in the event a DSP presents you with a report that involves some number of streams being backed out of a sales period because of suspected fraud, that you're confident in the underlying methodology and the definitions that are being used to make those decisions, which are ultimately impactful. And hopefully it's not happening you know, very often um, on an individual by individual label basis. But when it does, we think there's a lot of value in everyone speaking the same language. And right now it's sort of I think it's a kind of an open question of like, what is this? Why is it happening? How do you know this is right? And so our sort of hope is to build something that's rigorous and share out our methodology in as much detail as we can so that, you know, when folks are having a conversation about dreaming fraud, they're sort of speaking the same language. 
So you guys must, I mean, we started this whole episode with this sort of like these people are very creative and it probably changes all the time. So how do you guys stay on top of the changes that are happening in the fraudsters? Yeah, I think that, um, well, one is just being able to pick up new nuanced types of, of fraud. So being able to look at multiple different streaming data sets and say, uh, this fingerprint looks very similar to this fingerprint. It reminds me of, um, you know, there's 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 sort of biosecurity where when you type on a keyboard, every time you press down and let up on a key, that's unique to you. So if you type a unique sentence uh, or a sentence out, I can tell that it's that it's Morgan typing this, that there's a, I don't need a password. I can tell by his typing pattern it's him. The same thing happens typically with listening. And so there's ways to identify nuanced uh sort of repeated usage across different streaming services, you know, like a like a like a small towel. I think the better our data gets, the better uh, and the and the bigger our data set gets, the more we can catch these nuanced levels of fraud. I also think just the way we we built our machine learning and uh, you know models for detecting fraud, the average sort of fraud teams probably looking at the the regular stuff like how many times did this song get played in one period did it play too many times in uh you know in a city so is this town of a, a town of 4000 people creating 400 million streams like that's the pretty obvious stuff uh even things like the fact that this the battery of this phone has never changed uh, or the gyroscope hasn't moved which implies it's on a wall plugged in there's things you can look at there i think that the way we've built our models is we have 20 active models now moving towards 100 models. We're looking from all different lenses constantly. And as we see new things evolve, we take data sets and we train a new model against that and say, now go look at the other billions of streams with this lens and find us more fraud. And I think that what we've proven is that we can do it at a really high degree of confidence, like 95% plus. So there's no false positives or very few false positives. Uh, and we can do it... Um, you know, at scale, which I think is is the is the impressive piece. And as Morgan pointed out earlier, instead of each individual service having to pay this for building the exact same tools, it's better to have one sort of party constantly just focused on this problem and fighting it for them. Yeah. So how are I mean, how has the industry responded to your you guys coming into the marketplace? And I'm just asking because you know, streaming fraud, I, it's not something that DSPs want to make headlines about every day, obviously. Yeah, and, and we have to balance the sort of conversations like this with the internal conversations with partners to make sure that, you know, we aren't making this sound like, you know, 97% of all activity is, you know, is, is bad because it's not. Um, I think, you know, social media and stuff has sort of much worse statistics when it comes to, you know, bots and fake likes and right. you know, all the other things. So it's, it's not that. Um, but it is a really important conversation and one that, you know, we think so far the industry has been has really leaned in. I mean, we have a number of DSP partners that we're working with now. Um, we're looking for, you know, as a plug for ourselves, we're looking for one more who wants to jump in early and work with us. So if you're out there listening to this and, and you'd like to be that last one, uh, give us a call. But for real, it's it's been, you know, it's been pretty awesome um, from our perspective to just see, you know, even after the webinar we did with, uh, with your team last week, sort of the inbounds from the industry. Um, and I, I would say there's been sort of two categories of inbounds and both of them are super interesting. So one of them was, I'm so glad someone's saying something about this. We've been thinking about it for a long time. This is great. And the other one was, I had no idea this was such a big deal. And both of them are quite telling because they've come from all sides, side, sort of corners of the industry. It's not like one group of sort of stakeholders says one thing and another says another. It's, it's really kind of a mixed reaction. Um, 
but both with a lot of sort of, I think, earnest interest in you know, figuring out how we fight this together. And I think it's the approach that most industries, when they get to sort of a critical mass of revenue, take online where they have to deal with fraud, which is everyone sort of does their own thing for a while and then eventually realizes it's better to consolidate our efforts and you know, get ahead of fraudsters rather than each try to take it on ourselves. Yeah. Well, and raising awareness is obviously, you know, 50 percent of the of the uh, goal here so that we so that people just know what's going on. Um, well, you guys, this was incredibly helpful and interesting. Thank you so much, Morgan Hayduke and Andrew Beatty from BeatDap. Thanks so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for having us. You're listening to The Future of What? Follow us on all platforms at MusicBizAssoc, A-S-S-O-C, to find out more about MusicBiz and hear about what's coming up next. My guest today is Melissa Morgia, Director of Global Content Protection and Enforcement for the International Federation of the Phonographic Institute, or the IFPI. Welcome, Melissa. Hi, Portia. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. Do me a favor at the very beginning for those listeners who may not know, what is the IFPI? Sure. So the IFPI is uh, the global industry body for the recording industry worldwide. So um, we represent around 800 members in over 70 countries around the, around the globe. And um, we have a number of national groups and affiliated organizations, um, as well as offices in Europe, Asia, Africa and Latin America. And what we're talking about today is streaming fraud or streaming manipulation, um, which is actually a problem with a lot of different manifestations, right? It's not just one thing. Correct. So, I mean, in terms of how we define streaming manipulation, we uh, classify it as the creation of artificial plays on digital streaming services where those plays do not represent genuine listening. Um, however, how that activity manifests itself, as you say, covers a lot of different you know, methods and techniques. So what can you tell us a little bit about some of, I mean, I think the industry is familiar with the idea of artists or labels or artists and labels doing sort of inflated stream counts. I mean, I think that's the most, the one that, that people think of the most, like, oh, you went out and you bought fake streams uh, to, to try to make yourself, make your artist, who is you, a little bit more popular. To me, that seems like, from what I've heard, the most sort of wholesome way <laughs> that people, you know, if, if there's, you know, if there's a wholesome nature of crime, uh, you know, that one just seems very much like sort of self-serving. Um, and also, a lot of people would probably argue really not that um, successful, you know, because because there's a lot of technology out there that l helps you understand when, when stream counts are artificially inflated um, and doesn't r really represent the artist's fan base. But my understanding is there's a lot of other way more nefarious stuff out there where people who aren't even artists are participating in, in fraudulent behavior and they're way more tech savvy about how to do it. Absolutely. And that's really um, the area in which IFPI and our activities to combat this sort of activity have been targeted. So I think there are probably sort of two main motivations for engaging in streaming fraud. One of them, as you say, is improving chart position and the second is uh, generating royalties. Um, and you know, what we've found is that 
you know, there is a sort of uh, unlawful business model being based on the activity of generating royalties uh, from these fake streams. And I think, you know, they're very sort of sophisticated operations. And what we're seeing is there are a reseller model as well as a kind of wholesaler model. So often, you know, there will be a consumer-facing website um, selling fake streams, but those are actually delivered by a sort of wholesaler. And those sort of wholesalers are bigger sort of operations and, you know, very technically savvy operations. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and I think that that's also fairly important to sort of put out there because, you know, the first part of streaming manipulation that we were mentioning, you know, you can sort of see an artist, a, 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 let's say an unsigned artist who wants to in, inflate their streams to look like they've got more of an audience than they do. Like I said, that seems kind of wholesome in, in comparison because really that doesn't take a ton of technical know-how. Um, on the other hand, you have these folks who it seems like have you know, they aren't artists, in other words. They're a, an entirely different set of people who have figured out a way to manipulate streaming numbers to enrich themselves. And I think that's, you know, to me, that's two really separate things because the, you know, artists and labels willing to inflate their streams. <laughs> I keep using the word wholesome. I, I know that's not correct, but... Uh, but you know, it's a little bit more organic to the to the industry. It's like, oh yeah, people have always wanted to you know make it seem like they're more popular than they are. But this this notion that we've got a whole other sort of black market out there of people who have discovered this way of gaming the music industry, you know, that feels really frightening because we already have enough trouble in the music industry f having getting artists to make money, you know, given the the climate and the and you know the the digital environment in which we currently operate absolutely and i think i mean i guess the first thing i should say is that you know certainly our members have made it very clear that they condemn any kind of streaming fraud so you know they have engaged in sort of educational programs to ensure that you know anyone that might think that you know this is a legitimate form of marketing you know that's not okay but as you say uh, there is a whole different side of things that we think is probably much broader in the sense that it is not only targeted to sort of, sort of music manipulation, but a lot of the sort of third party services that we see offer manipulations on other kinds of social media platforms. And, you know, we think at that sort of scale, it's likely that, you know, these people are operating purely to you know, accrue benefit by unlawful means, which obviously cause harm to everyone that is involved in creating and investing in music, um, who you know rely on genuine consumption. But it also has a broader consumer harm because you know, consumers are misled as to to how popular a particular track is, for example. And I think you know something that you've touched on is the the societal impact of this sort of black market where you know, there might be other connections to other forms of organized crime, such as money laundering um, and other types of fraud. Wow, yeah. Perhaps there are you know, ways that you can, you know, actions you guys can take perhaps in the form of litigation and you know, suing certain sites or providers or perpetrators 
that could that is combating this problem. Is that accurate? Yes, it is. So one of the ways in which IFPI has been involved in addressing this issue has been by way of legal actions against the services that commercially offer uh, streaming fraud. So we're dealing with, with the visible aspects of the supply side of manipulation. And uh, IFPI, together with our network of national groups uh, around the world, has uh, brought a number of cases. I can tell you a little bit about the ones uh, that have happened so far. So in Germany, we've taken a number of actions based on uh, German unfair competition law, together with our national group, BVMI in Germany. Those actions comprised preliminary injunctions against the operators of seven sites uh, in six different courts, and all of those uh, sites have ceased to provide the streaming manipulation services or have shut down completely. And the courts where we received a decision have found that the activity of offering these fake streams uh, amounts to a violation of German unfair competition law. And that really, what that means is that, you know, consumers are misled because uh, false statements are made about the characteristics of particular goods and services. So the number of plays, for example, ascribed to certain tracks are fake and that adversely impacts consumers. So those actions in Germany were, were all successful. Some of the interesting things that came out of those decisions uh, were the fact that one of the courts essentially held that it didn't matter how the fake plays were delivered. The mere fact that they were artificially generated was sufficient, so it wasn't necessarily relevant that they were delivered by bots, for example, or by manual methods. Ah. The other interesting point is that the most recent case we brought uh, had had a positive outcome but was not limited to artificial plays. The court also in that case held that artificially generating other manipulations like likes, comments and subscriptions were equally in violation of unfair competition law. Oh, that's great. Is that, do you think that rulings like that in Germany will sort of seep out into other countries across Europe? We would hope so, um, within Germany, within Europe and beyond really. I mean, these courts sent a very strong message that the activities are unlawful and we, and we always hope with these sorts of cases that they have a deterrent effect in terms of you know, shutting down the relevant services or stopping them from providing the unlawful activities but also, you know, makes people think twice about using these services because it, you know, it sort of publicizes the fact that they're unlawful. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I have a lot of hope that many things in Europe will trickle out throughout the rest of the world. Um, The European Copyright Directive being one of them. (laughs) Absolutely. And I mean, um, I can also talk a little bit about the actions that um, we've brought in collaboration with our Brazilian group, APDIF, and uh, the Anti-Piracy Association there, Pro Music Brazil, which we took a a different approach. We collaborated with uh, the CyberGecko, which is a cybercrime unit of the Sao Paulo Public Prosecutor's Office. There was a joint approach to the operators of a number of services, as well as Uh, marketplaces where services were offering these kinds of um, manipulation services and 
in those cases, the operators were notified um, about the unlawful activity uh, by the prosecutor's office and resulted in sort of 65 uh, locally operated strip manipulation servers either shutting down, stopping the activities, or um, in the case of marketplace listings, they were removed. Oh, that's great. That's That's got to feel like a real victory. Yeah, so again, you know, it is you know, building up this sort of message that these activities are unlawful. Yes, absolutely, which is important. Exactly. Well, Melissa Morgia of the IFPI, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your expertise. I have really appreciated having you with us on The Future of What. Thank you so much, Portia. Have a great day. Thank you, you too. And that's our show. Our theme song is Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five and is played by permission. Subscribe to our podcast to leave us a review. Our show was engineered by Clark Buckner at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center and was produced by Dana Rogers and Henrik Bick. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. See you next time. Can I have a taste of your ice cream?